Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. Welcome to Grilling at the Green After Hours, conversation that took place after the broadcast ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome to After Hours here on Grilling at the Green. I'm JT, and we're talking with Sean and Bruce. Uh, they're not brothers. They just work together sometimes at Langdon Farms. But uh, Bruce Furman, uh, Director of Instruction, Sean Lanny, the Director of Junior Golf there at Langdon Farms. And Sean's got his... Uh, place up in vancouver he travels all over uh every time i try to call you you're on an airplane dude so you know it's like okay um we when we wrapped up the show we were talking about one piece of training equipment every golfer should have so should uh fairway woods and or hybrids be essential clubs for more, most amateur golfers I think the seven seven wood metal wood whatever you want to call it is probably the best club for the average player of any club in the bag so i would recommend anybody who's an average player to have a seven wood and and then hybrids and five woods and so forth are 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 good clubs for for, for average players three wood not so much that one's a hard one to hit it's pretty good off the tee um i'm not saying avoid it but uh you're more of an average player i definitely have a five and a seven wood and some hybrids and you don't need a bunch of long irons so yeah sean sean good all that really does it just lets you fill some gaps so you can hit your driver 225 yards and then you can hit your five or seven wood 200 yards and then you fill the gap with some rescue hybrids and a mid iron and next thing you know you kind of cover your bases and you don't have a 50 yard gap in there and you're eliminating the potential miss it. So I love, I love that game plan from Bruce. How do you get people to get dialed in with their, with their distance? I mean, I, I know how far I can hit a seven iron. I know how far I can hit a nine, so on and so forth. It, it's always a crap shoot with my driver, but I don't worry about that anymore. But the point is, when you're working with somebody and they're, they're going to go play in their Saturday foursome and just have a good time. But how is it to get them dialed in um, to the range, you know, seven iron yeah. 165 to 175 or something. Most players overestimate how far they hit it. Um, and so even a cheap launch monitor, which they're not always perfectly accurate, but uh, you know, those are good for people to use. And, and certainly, I have a launch monitor, and, uh, and Sean's got um, a bunch of them. So uh, we can tell the you know our, our people that we're giving lessons to this is how far you're actually hitting it, so that they're uh, they have realistic uh, ideas on where on how far they hit it. But just a good launch monitor to uh, 
to to dial in those numbers, I think is important. Bruce, I, um, uh, hold on. I, I think that's a terrible idea, Bruce, to make them deal with reality. That's just awful. <laughs> I drive them away from the game. But, uh, <laughs> I'm hitting that driver about 300, and they're hitting it about 220. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as a teacher, you kind of you, you don't want to deflate them too bad. Well, you're not quite 300. <laughs> yeah, a little short there. Okay, Sean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt well, that's, you. That's just saying maybe that player hits the ball and he aims and hits the cart path and it takes a couple really good kicks off the cart path and he gets the 300 yards. I mean, come on. But my my software on uh, the Foresight machine has this really cool program called Know Your Numbers and a player literally builds their bag, hits three shots with each golf club and then it spits out a report on their gaps and their distances that the golf clubs go. Talk about like being able to fill those gaps. That's where like, a player really is going to understand like, okay, well, my seven iron and eight iron is a 22 yard difference. So maybe we reach out to Mr. Keith Lee at Langdon and he has to fix some lofts and lies to actually get a golf club to perform better um, so that the player doesn't have massive gaps. But I, I definitely think the player, my the perfect example, the player this morning, he thought he was hitting his seven iron 175 yards and it was going 145. Okay, so we have to kind of accept in reality he's also waiting for a new set of clubs because the clubs are a full inch too long for him, and they're about four degrees off from a lie angle. So he's making some big manipulations, which impacts how far the ball goes. So I love having a piece of technology, but just, again, understanding numbers and understanding what the ball does and how far it goes is a big part of golfers playing some great golf. So what is an acceptable – I'm sorry, Bruce. Um, Go ahead. I just was going to say, um, when people watch golf on TV, they see these pros hitting it so far, um, and I'm I'm a little skeptical sometimes on some of these yardage that the, they report on. <laughs> no, when you look at when you look at their TrackMan numbers, and and then you look at well, this guy's hitting an eight iron from two ten, and then you look at their TrackMan numbers, they're hitting their, their eight iron one sixty five. So sometimes I'm a little skeptical on those numbers that they report on TV, but uh, but amateurs see all those distances and they they think, well, you know, I can hit it pretty close to that, and and obviously they overestimate things. So what is an acceptable? Just from all your combined experiences, but what is an acceptable gap in the clubs? Okay, I can do this is a made up number, but let's say I can do my seven iron 180 yards, and then I can do my six iron 200 yards. There's a 20 yard gap in there, right? Is that acceptable, or do you try to? Should uh, let me put it this way: Should a player try to lower those gaps as much as possible? When they're and I'm talking about a really good player. I'm not talking about somebody like me. But should they try to say uh, there's a ten yard? You know, because you hear people say on TV, like Bruce was just referring to, and and they'll talk to them after the round or something, and they'll say, "Yeah, I I that I was between clubs on that, or I don't really have a club for that shot or something." So, what would be an acceptable? on average um range for that for seven iron pj tour average is what 172 yards for a pj tour player i would imagine lpga is i don't know 20 percent shorter give or take but 
I mean, how many people think that they should hit their seven iron 190? I'm like baffled how some players think they have to hit their seven iron astronomical distances. Uh, but that the average of the PGA tour player is around 170, 175. So I mean, if if an amateur is like 160 or 150, like and they can repeat it and they can actually copy and paste and make the same swing and repeat ball flight. Sure. Like that is half the battle, but why try to squeeze out another 15 yards of distance when now you're going to start introducing a ton of dispersion and you're going to hit it all over the flipping yard. I have, if you're hitting one club way longer then there's probably a loft issue there or could be lie issue. And, you know, you, you want a reasonable gap between those clubs, 10, 15 yards. You don't need, you're not going to get a 20 yard gap in between those yards. Turcros don't have that big a gap in between right. those, those clubs. So if you happen to be hitting one that's way, way off, then you should get it checked. Okay. Well, I have a friend, a very good friend. We've played a lot of golf together over the years, but I've gotten to the point where I don't tell him what I'm hitting. Because, like, he'll stand there and look at a shot, and I'll look at the shot, and I'll say, hmm, that's a six iron for me. You know, I got my little range finder out there, and all that stuff isn't as scientific as what the pros and, and the teachers are using. But for the weekend warrior, yeah, that's fine. And so I look at it, and I say, I can, I think I can get there with a six iron. And then my buddy will say, what did you hit? And I said, oh, long iron <laughs> or something like that. And he'll say, uh, I think I'm going to hit an eight. Well, I know he can't hit the ball farther than me. He never has been able to. So I just let him do it. And then he gets frustrated and maybe I shouldn't, but, uh, it is, it is pretty fun to get into his pocket that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're totally messing with his head, his psyche. Oh, I've been doing that for years, Sean. That's just part of, part of the friendship. (laughs) You know, the, you know, the wild thing about tiger, he always would, stand up on par threes and adam scott i don't know if you saw the story or heard the story but adam scott literally would stand up on the tee with tiger and he would pull a a four iron out of his back right yeah and you know adam would see this and you know adam would go tee off tiger uh, tiger would influence his club selection adam walks over with his four iron tiger in the meantime watches him fly it over the green and then tiger goes and grabs a six iron and like totally messes like that is the ultimate one of the you know great examples of how you know gamesmanship is one thing but that is what like <laughs> literally tiger had that that edge that advantage on how to get into somebody's head like you with your buddy oh yeah well and i've been able to get into his head not only on the golf course but at the dinner table whatever it's it's just kind of one of the highlights of my week when i can do that okay yeah. so it works out pretty good um, in, in your teaching experience, we talked a little bit about this in the regular show, but how important is it to get one of your students or the average golfer listening to this show to actually commit to the shot? I've played a lot of rounds of golf with people and I've done it too, where I walk up and I, and I'm tentative about what I want to do, where I want to aim, what, you know, what I'm going to try to accomplish, which in my case, most of the time doesn't happen anyway. So that's fine. But to actually commit to the shot, how important is that? 
I think it's important to, you know, you, you want to analyze the conditions, the lie, the distance, wind, pin, where the trouble is, and then visualize the shot and then trust your swing and, and uh, you know, get up with a good pre-shot routine and, and trust trust where you're going to hit it, the visualization, visualization of where you're going to hit it, and, and then let it go. And and uh, and that's all you can do. And 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 uh, you just deal with it. Whatever happens, happens. And yeah, uh, if it's good, it's good. If it's not, that's why you have a short game. Sean, you know the best the best example of commitment comes from a story I firsthand heard from Mr. Nicholas about uh, Billy Casper, and uh, you know it's down the heat on Sunday back nine he's playing with Billy Casper and there was so much pressure on Billy to pull off these shots. And uh, it was a crucial shot on the 17th hole. I want to say it was at Oakmont. I want to say it was somewhere back East and um, you know, he's over the golf ball and he gets distracted and he gets distracted to the point where, you know, he has to reset because obviously he wasn't committed to the shot committed to the moment. And he came back, put his, uh, club back in the bag. His caddy came over. He uh, pulled out his yardage book, uh, reconnected with the yardage, uh, talked to his caddy about where the whole location was, bent down, threw some grass up in the air, uh, took a couple practice swings, and then recommitted to the moment, recommitted and walked in and hit the shot. I mean, for Mr. Nicholas to remember all that, he's obviously standing aside watching this happen. Like, Like, just get up and swing and hit it but he reset his entire program so he didn't just back off or hit the shot anyway and kind of make a mistake he literally kind of realized he was distracted he was uncommitted he walked back he did his entire routine like he just walked up to the ball and then he goes through his process and he pulls the shot off and like obviously beat mr nicholas that that particular tournament didn't happen a lot but um you know Pretty fantastic story to commit. I, I think just the power word of saying commit as you walk into a golf ball, regardless whether you're a 30 handicap to, to a tour player, you have to say commit as you walk into the shot. And maybe you say it, commit, trust yourself, commit to the shot. Like those are power phrases that a lot of mental coaches and high level coaches tell players all the time. Hmm. Bruce? Yeah, I agree. Um, all you can do is, is again, like, like I said, analyze the conditions, visualize the shot, and trust your swing. Have a good pre-shot routine and go up and, and, and make the shot, make your swing. And your last swing thought should be positive, ideally, and uh, and then you deal with whatever happens. You know, it's, it's over, it's done, and you forget about the past, don't worry about the future, you're in the present, and, and, and go on and, and uh, play your next shot the same way. Okay, <clears throat> so, uh, excuse me, improving fitness seems to take a priority this time of year for people that sat around on their butts all winter. Um, do your, a lot of your students, do they exercise? And if they do, is it for uh, general physical and mental health, or are they just doing golf-specific uh, stretches golf is really a for most people it's more about stretching and stuff than it is trying to build body mass uh because once you build body mass like i have accomplished so well over the years it's hard to get rid of it so um 
I just wanted to get both your thoughts on on the exercise. Most people aren't going to go through an hour and a half day regiment or like tour players, you know, an hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half at night. That's just not reasonable. But what do you think of that? And then what do you recommend? Well, I mean, if a perfect world, you, you, you do both. You work, work on the, your overall strength and uh, just general overall strength issues. And then you can work on golf specific uh, type exercises, uh, speed drills, throwing a medicine ball against a wall or using pulley systems or, you know, different ways mm -hmm. of doing different uh, things and, and working on your core and jumping and those kind of things uh, are good for speed for golf, but you got to be strong too. So, uh, you know, I, I recommend doing both. And obviously a lot of people aren't going to do that, but, uh, but if they ask me, that's what I'm going to tell them. Okay. Sean. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of social golfers are going to do the 16 ounce curls, you know, while they're playing. <laughs> um, but if, if you get a player in reality that wants to maybe get a little bit more in, in better shape for golf, um, they, they probably need some guidance. They probably need somebody that's got a little bit of, um, you know, a niche to golf fitness. So, um, you know, Bruce and I, um, if you contact us, um, I would be more than happy to get you in touch with Lance Gill. Lance is, is my, um, basically my virtual golf fitness team and they do a, a complimentary strategy call and they set up virtual golf fitness coaching. So you have guidance, uh, from your own home, uh, to work on specific things like what Bruce said, the medicine ball and the jumping and knowing your body, knowing what your limitations are, and then being able to become a better athlete. So uh, feel free to reach out to us. if We can provide you with that information for Lance. Sure. So <clears throat> this is more on the, uh, if you guys were physiotherapists, I would uh, expect the Latin answer to this, but a lot of people, and I'm included because of injuries and stuff, you have a tough time moving your hips, going through the ball, that type of thing. Uh, a lot of upper body muscle uh, on a lot of the shots. And so, first of all, what body, upper body muscle group is the most important for your, like your driving distance? And then how can you work with people? without driving yourself crazy, like I've driven Bruce crazy for years, how to actually, you know, get those hips moving, um, you know, pushing off on that back leg, doing that. So let's start with Bruce on that. So your question is what upper body muscle is the most important? Is that what, that what your question? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of people, that's the only way they hit it is just using upper body strength. I, I I don't know which upper body muscle is most important. Uh, <laughs> they're all all important. Uh, you know, lat muscles and shoulders and obliques and so forth. Uh, sure. Um, but you know, you, you have someone analyze your golf swing and 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 work on the areas that you're that you got problems with, and uh, that's what I I would recommend. Okay, Sean. You know, it in my eyes, a, a golfer has to know how to do an overhead squat. So athletically, they have to have stability and mobility, and they have to be able to literally get to the top of their golf swing, and they physically have to know how to move into a squatting motion, which is actually technically allowing for them to use their, their feet and their legs and their pelvis, their core, 
and they have to create some stability and they have to learn how to move in that fashion so that they can use all those muscles that basically they have in their body. But um, I wouldn't say there's one more important muscle. I would just say that a golf specific move is centered completely around loading, squatting, shifting, and rotating. If we're talking body. Um, so, you know, if you're a golfer, take a broom or a golf club, go with your broom or golf club above your head and actually physically try to keep the broom or club above your head and do a squat and see if you don't fall over or see if you don't have that <laughs> club moving in front of you. Cause if that happens, then, you know, you can obviously tell right off the bat, your, your body's not very, uh, efficient and prepared for a golf swing. Uh, so just kind of food for thought there. Got it. Okay. Last question, guys. Um, this is more of, this isn't as much of a technical question as it is a, uh, oh, manners type thing. Do you think that golf etiquette, one respect for the course and respect for other players has dropped in recent years, stayed the same or gotten better? Go ahead, Bruce. I, I, I couldn't answer that really. Um, my experience is about the same. Um, you know, maybe tournaments like the uh, tournament in uh, in Phoenix, where you know the crowds are oh the waste locked. management, yeah, waste management where they're throwing beers and stuff and stuff like that. You know, that's probably not uh, great, great for golf etiquette. Uh, but you know, just playing with people and, and stuff, I haven't noticed anything too dramatic either way. I don't know about you, Sean. I'm in the same boat. Okay. I have. Um, but then I play at a far uh, different level than you guys play. And there has been times, in fact, uh, last fall we were playing at Langdon. And uh, there was an older gentleman. Um, I was playing in two other guys and one lady who I, I played a lot of golf with. Very lovely lady. And... On the back nine, this guy came up and started really haranguing her about slow play. And, and he was, I could see him. I was, I was 30 yards away from her and he's like pounding and getting right in her face. And I kind of had to start going over there for him to knock it off, but he didn't bother to look ahead of us where we were waiting for the folks on the green to clear before we could hit our approach shots. Right. So, um, I just, I, that's actually was the impetus of the question because once in a while you get somebody out there who I think has a overinflated uh, value of their own self-worth uh, on the golf course. And they're, uh, I mean, slow play is a problem. Yes, it is. But when it's a bright, sunny day and there, you can have three sets of golfers on one hole and you know, this guy got in her face and uh, I thought that was very uncool. And I kind of told him so, but uh, that's, those are the things that I, uh, that seems to be kind of society bound anyway, in today's world for us, people expressing their thoughts without much, <laughs> without much rhyme or reason. I think there's been rude people or, uh, you know, ill-mannered people uh, throughout the uh, history of golf. Uh, yeah. Know, and slow play obviously makes people frustrated. And, sure. And all the courses I, I think work at trying to keep the play up and 
you know, um, if you have a good, well-marshaled course and, and um, you know, you keep play up and, and people that aren't very good learn how to, you know, pick the ball up and move on and so forth. So that, right. keeps the, uh, that helps. And, but there's always going to be some confrontations. <laughs> okay. Sean, you want to wrap this up for us? <laughs> you know, I run the U S kids Portland tour and the world stars of golf tour in the Northwest. And I have a great staff that helps me so I can, do what I like to do and in, in growing the game. But we had this, this one kid who um, I'm not too sure his, his medical condition it's a fantastic family, but he was experiencing his first golf tournament and his playing partner were p- playing partners and the parents became frustrated with the fact that he took four to seven practice swings and he was extremely slow, but he was never coached. He was never taught. He was never told exactly what to do. Um, I had the ability to recognize that, you know, this kid had a medical condition um, that I don't need to bring up, but he was out there and he was busting his butt trying to play golf and he was trying to actually uh, play the game and enjoy the game. And, um, you know, I don't think really many people realize his medical condition. And, um, so I went out there to talk to the parents and we basically, um, I don't know, I think that group probably played their front nine in two hours and 30 minutes. So it was probably 15, 20 minutes longer than it should have, which is slow. And that backed up our groups behind them. Uh, but I think the point of this is realizing that, you know, People need to be educated. Golfers need to be educated on what's expected. When you go to a golf ball and you hear the term ready golf, you literally should go to your golf ball, take a practice swing, not a dozen or half dozen, and you should literally take the practice swing and hit your golf shot. And wherever it goes, go chase it, find it, and then do the same thing. Take a practice swing and hit it again. But, you know, that that poor kid, he's – and I, I embraced the parents and the family and, and we said, hey, you know what? This is our policy. If you fall two, two holes behind, you're going to have to take the max score of 10 and you're going to have to skip a hole. And yeah. that was our answer to that. But, you know, I'm not going to get negative with a kid that's trying to get comfortable golfing. Right. And, you know, the, the families and the kids that were frustrated, unfortunately, they were in a group that they all had to learn. But that kid needs to seek a PJ professional like Bruce or I, and we need to embrace that kid's learning curve so he can actually understand what is expected of him when he steps foot social golf or tournament golf. And that's a huge part of any golfer. They need to get up, play ready golf, take a practice swing, hit it and chase it. There you go. I do that a lot. Hit it, chase it, take my chainsaw, go get it. And then come back to the fairway. Anyway, Bruce Furman, Sean Lanny, uh, Real quick, guys, Bruce, how can people find you? And then we'll have Sean do the same thing. You can call out to Langan Farms uh, Pro Shop, and uh, they have my schedule there. And uh, and, and and the website, langanfarms.com, you can uh, look at the prices and so forth like that. And, and then um, I'm on social media also, like you mentioned, Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, uh, the other ones. So you can find me that way. Just call Langan Farms. Okay. Sean? Uh, all you'd have to do is visit 18, the number one, eight shots, golf.com. And all of my information's on there. I teach all over the place, but I've got 18 shots up in Vancouver. Langdon farms is, uh, my green grass property in the great state of Oregon. Uh, and we've got 
two great coaches there at Langdon that are uh, eager and willing to help you uh, get to the point where your game is in good shape and ready for this uh, upcoming summer season. There you go. Uh, we want to thank Bruce and Sean for taking the time to be on the regular show and after hours. Uh, I know I've chewed into their days, but uh, they got to go to work. Uh, I might go take a nap. You guys got me up early this morning. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green and Grilling at the Green After Hours. So go out, play some golf, have some fun, and be kind. Take care.